Hello and welcome everybody. Yes, of live episode 119 today. It is Thursday, January 21st, 10 a.m. here in Vancouver. In a few seconds, I'll be joined by Ryan Hanley, mining analyst at Laurentian Bank Securities. I'm extremely excited to have him on. One of the first analysts we've actually have on the program. A lot of experts, but no banking analysts. So I'm quite excited to pick his brain, see where we at in the market, what his top picks are. Going to talk about his top gold picks, dive a little deeper into a couple names that we've talked about before, and quite excited to hear from him. But before we get started, everybody knows the spiel by now that's watching. Follow us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, hit the subscribe, hit the like button, and uh, make sure you turn on the alerts. That way you get notified when we go live with another update. And also be reminded, this is an interactive format. So use the YouTube chat function, use the uh, Twitter hashtag function, ask Ryan. And uh, in hindsight, just looking at it minutes ago, we should have chosen that hashtag a tad better because it's mixed in with some fantasy football analyst as well. And it, it fits quite well because Ryan and I are in a fantasy football league, but we're not going to talk about AJ Brown and any other any of the other guys out there right now. So um, let's keep it gold focused and uh, let's let's stick to his expertise. But enough of me. Let's switch over to Ryan. He's the guy we want to hear from. And Ryan, thanks for joining us this morning. Happy New Year and I uh, hope you're well. Yeah, Happy New Year. Thanks for having me, Kai. Much appreciated. Oh. Oh, it's fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on. I know it's always a bit careful or uh, like difficult to get mining analysts on because of compliance. So we're going to be very careful what we talk about. We're going to talk about names that you cover, obviously. But uh, we're going to start with a quick introduction, actually. Who is Ryan Henley? Who, wh wh who or what is Laurentian Bank? <laughs> Uh, it's it's a name you don't hear too often in the mining space. It's more of a Quebec institution. So so let us know or give us an update on on the activities. Yeah, sure. So uh, I guess Laurentian historically has not uh, been as well known in the mining space. Uh, as a bank, it's been around for about 175 years. It's one of the oldest banks in Canada. Um, we've been growing the mining team. Uh, I started there in uh, March of 2017 uh, as a mining analyst. Uh, there is uh, two of us at the time. We've grown that to now we're, we're three mining analysts, uh, myself, my two colleagues, uh, Barry Allen and Jacques Wortman on the research team. And then we had uh, Joe Gallucci and Angelina Mehta join us in banking, uh, brought over a few other people. So we've been uh, increasingly uh, active over the last uh, couple of years. Fantastic. Yeah, because we've seen quite a few bot deals and financings announced. And like, how active are you guys in that space? Uh, we're, we're pretty active. Um, naturally, I guess we, we do quite a bit in the Ontario-Quebec market just because it's, you know, literally in our backyard. Um, but from our coverage universe, I mean, I've got everything from Alamos and Argonaut and, you know, the guys that are operating in, in North America to um, between uh, my other colleagues, we've got stuff basically right through the Americas uh, and, and really throughout the world. Okay, perfect. We're going to dive into a couple names, like you mentioned as well, like Argonaut, and we're going to talk about New Gold major drilling. I definitely want to touch on because I think it's a great indicator for our market sentiment. Um, but we're going to save that for later. Let's, uh, Ryan. Like, how how long have you been an analyst? And we we, we need to know, like, what is it like being an analyst right now? It, like, twenty twenty must have been super difficult. Desktop research only goes that far, right? So tell us about it. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah, so I've, I've been an analyst for a little over a decade now. Uh, I started my career um, back, actually, I kind of started, uh, ironically, I started at the bottom, 2008, um, which was a pretty depressing time. And, you know, it wasn't, wasn't a whole lot of fun. We had a bit of a, a run in, in gold up until 2012. Uh, and then it got a little bit, uh, a little bit challenging. But uh, in terms of, of being an analyst now, it, it's a lot more exciting. Um, we're obviously in a, in a much more constructive gold market. Uh, COVID has obviously been been a challenge for everybody. Uh, one of the, the challenges on the analyst side is is really not being able to go to conferences. Like I think actually this time last year, I was at uh, Roundup in the, the Cambridge House out there in Vancouver, which is you know great experience and a lot of fun. But uh, unfortunately, not this year. Everything's uh, virtual. So between not being able to do that and 
uh, go on site visits and kind of see people face to face, I'd say it's uh, it's been a bit of a challenge. Yeah, it's like how, how valuable is it actually to do everything online? Just like in, in, I'm speaking from personal experience now, like if without a network, I I'd be dead in the water right now. Like we have an existing network, so I know people, yeah. right? But building those new relationships and you can't have the beers or the, the dinners with people to, to sort of break the ice and really get behind a story. Like how are you dealing with that? And, and going on to the sites as well, like you can't do it. So how are you covering for that? Yeah, kind of like you mentioned, having an existing network and having done this for a while definitely helps quite a bit. Um, being able to, to call guys and, and do these, you know, video calls and all that stuff helps. Um, there is, I guess, to a certain degree, the benefit of, of not having to travel. You know, I'm not stuck in Pearson Airport for six hours waiting for a flight. Um, so there is that element. But on the flip side, I mean, not being able to see people face to face and kind of get those connections and continue to build out your network, um, not being able to to hang out on a mine site and, and talk to, you know, your your mine manager, your, your geo on site, those kind of guys and get a bit more depth or a bit more detail out of it. Uh, that's definitely been a bit more of a challenge. So you've got to definitely ask a, a lot more questions on on calls and, and get to know uh, management teams quite a bit more yeah good good point you bring up there are calls you you support of course the sales team as a mining analyst you you give, you give your feedback in the investor meetings um let, let's dive a bit deeper into the investor sentiment right now it feels like it's a bit sluggish but uh, then on the other hand i saw quite a few financings announced this morning so it's a it's a bit of a mixed pack of cats here like where are we at like where in the where are we at in the market yeah, I mean, I'd say in terms of, of the gold side of things, and that's kind of what I'm going to focus on here, just being uh, a gold analyst, um, we're still kind of, I think, in the in the early innings. We've definitely seen the capital markets open up. Uh, as I mentioned before, it used to be a lot more depressing about a decade ago, but uh, it's getting a lot better. Uh, so we're, we're starting to see that the financings kick up. Um, junior exploration guys are able to raise money once again, get some pretty aggressive drill campaigns going. Um, and then the producers are generating more and more free cash flow. Um, contrary to call it 2011, 2012 or before that, um, we're not seeing producers taking on unsustainable levels of debt, making crazy acquisitions, nothing like that. Everyone's being much smarter with their capital. And I think that just given the declining reserve basis of a lot of the producers you're going to see exploration be more and more of a focus yeah and uh, remind us of your coverage universe like who do you focus on mostly like how deep in the value chain or do, do you go and yep. yeah remind us of that yeah sure so uh the, the biggest guy that i cover right now would be alamos gold um and then i kind of go right down into some of the earlier stage exploration guys so uh amex and and radisson would probably be on the on the lower end um, we do produce a watch list as well every uh, six months or so. Usually we like to have it out right before PDAC. Uh, and then right uh, about six months after that is, is everyone's kind of getting back into it in, uh, in September. So um, we do have some, I'll say, potentially smaller cap names on there. Uh, things that can be a bit tougher to, to value, you know, maybe good people, good project, but you know, it's a bit tough to put a number on, but something worth uh, keeping a close eye on. Fantastic. And it's like for, for the producers, obviously running through the numbers, it's very model driven, obviously. What kind of gold price assumptions does Laurentian have? And like internally, what do you use uh, to calculate those models on? Yeah, um, I don't have any uh, long drawn out intelligent response for you. Uh, we're uh, we're eighteen fifty on our gold price. Sorry, gold price flat. Uh, so uh, any of the numbers, I guess, that I reference uh, going forward, whether it's you know target prices or NAVs or whatever, uh, those are all calculated on uh, on eighteen fifty. Um, I was just looking this morning. It looks like uh, consensus for twenty twenty one. Uh, is about 19, just under 1900. So we're we're in that kind of range. Uh, I know a lot of other people like to have, 
you know, higher and lower gold price forecasts on a year by year basis, but we've uh, we flatlined it and keep it simple that way. Yeah. Now you're a mining analyst, so you we we expect you to have a crystal ball, right? So you know the future, you know where things are <laughs> headed. Like, what are some of the common questions you've been getting asked in those calls by by the investors and big or small? Like, what do they want to know? What's burning under their fingernails? Yeah, so there's a couple of, of kind of recurring questions that seem to keep coming up. Um, one of them is, is on capital allocation. So uh, as I mentioned before, um, a lot of the producers are generating more and more free cash flow. And so you're starting to see cash build up on balance sheets. And if you look at, you know, like um, pick your company, there, there's a few of them out there that, that are sitting on a pile of cash. So what do they do? Um, and is there a risk that we see 2012, 11 style transactions again? Uh, my answer to that is I, I don't think so. I think that this time around, companies are, are much smarter about how they manage their capital. Um, I think you're going to see, and you have seen, a lot more dividends. We saw Endeavor Mining, uh, which is predominantly West Africa-focused, come out with their initial dividend. We've seen other guys increasing their dividends. We've seen share buybacks. Uh, Newmont just announced a billion-dollar share buyback. Um, a lot of companies like Kirkland Lake are, are aggressively pursuing both. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more return of capital to, to shareholders using those avenues as opposed to to chasing growth for the sake of growing, um, like we did uh, several years ago. Yeah, that's that's an interesting piece of information there because the companies will be generating tons of cash flow. And I think it was BMO who came out with a, a cash flow forecast for uh, the major gold producers. And I think the top 10 gold producers at 1850 gold will be producing roughly 90 billion US dollars in free cash flow until 2024, right? So, of course, as you yeah. said, dividends will be increased. Newmont was a good example for another share buyback program. Mergers and acquisitions. Don't you think the shareholders in the end will get more aggressive again and say, okay, you guys got to grow for the sake of growing now and you got to stay on top of things? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think they will continue to grow, but it's going to be the right kind of transactions. Um, you can do dividends and buybacks and do M&A at the same time. You just got to be smart about how you do it. Um, and kind of going back to your point about all the free cash flow being generated, probably one of the better examples might be Barrick. I mean, we don't we don't cover them, but just kind of looking at uh, some of the consensus numbers, I mean, their free cash flow is going to be something like 10% this year. Um, so when you've got somebody like Newmont doing a massive buyback, people increasing their dividends, when they report their Q4 in a few weeks, I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do because usually you look to Barrick and Newmont to, to lead the pack. Um, when you're looking more at the M&A, um, instead of, you know, going out and, and using cash and racking up debt to buy something just for the sake of, you know, hitting that million ounce a year or five million ounce a year mark, I think you're going to see a lot more kind of synergist, sorry, transactions call it with synergies where, um, say, hey, as I trip over my words here, um, guys leveraging their, you know, their operational know-how or their balance sheet or whatever to, to kind of jump in. So if you see a company that, you know, has that uh, expansion plan, but they can't really afford to finance it, you might see somebody with no growth and a lot of cash on the balance sheet get together with them. Yeah. Or, you know, like the, the Endeavor tra uh, Taranga transaction where you have people in the same geography that, you know, can get some leverage out of uh, combining on, on that side. Um, more, you know, smarter deals like that, I think is what you can expect. Smarter deals, yeah. It's like we've seen a couple transactions in the last few weeks here, actually. So I'm just going to pick one out that's actually happening this morning. Uh, <laughs> El Dorado buying QMX. I'm still looking into that one. Sounds like a smart deal. Like same area, same direction, like same. Uh, but also um, Moneta Porcupine and O3 Mining merging some assets together. Sounds like a very smart deal. That definitely sounds like one there's one plus one is three. But also Monarch Gold divesting of uh, Wazamak or Yamana buying Wazamak from, uh, from from Monarch. Seems like a very smart transaction for both sides. Um, but it, it, it still feels like we're waiting for a trigger for more M&A, bigger M&A to happen. Those were all like smaller deals, like 
yes, they were all triple digit million dollar <laughs> deals. Don't get me wrong, right? But uh, we're not really there yet. Like, a Newmont hasn't been active, a yeah. Barrick hasn't really been active buying anything. Like, what are we waiting for? Yeah, I, I think we're slowly kind of moving in that direction. Um, earlier on, when I was saying we're, you know, we're at the earlier stages of a, of a good gold cycle, um, it's because, you know, we in the later stages, you'll see those those crazy acquisitions and, and more things that, you know, are in the billions as opposed to the hundreds of millions. Um, we're, we're not quite there. I think you, we're going to need a couple of quarters of, you know, keep showing that you can generate that free cash while your operations are working. I think COVID was a bit of a wrench in the gears. Um Thinking about you know the M and A angle, um, it's really hard to get through the whole due diligence process when you can't fly out to get onto a site to kind of check off those boxes and, and meet everybody face to face. So, um, you know, if you're if you're merging assets in say Ontario or Quebec when you've already got teams that are in place and they're they're in the same uh, mining town, uh, it's a lot easier. If you're going to buy something in a foreign country, especially like Australia and some of these places where you know you've got to quarantine for two weeks and and all that, it, it makes things much more challenging. So I think that's been a, a bit of the restriction as well yeah not everybody has the liberty to stay in a hotel room for two weeks like the atp tennis players <laughs> i've been watching that uh, online it's been pretty fun how they've been keeping themselves busy while quarantining for the australian open so it's it's not too much fun it definitely hinders some in in, in terms of moving forward um let, let's talk about a couple names you're covering and you made some fantastic picks in my opinion in the last uh 12 months and you were one of the earlier ones called uh, the the turnaround in new gold and uh, you made a great pick also on on major drilling um, of course, you got market sentiment behind you, and I want to talk about major maybe in, in a second. But let's talk about New Gold, and uh, wh why did you pick the company? Why are you talking about it? And you know, what's your price target? Let's run us through the details. Give us the update there. Yeah, sure. So uh, just to knock the easy part out of the way first, so we're, we're at a three dollar target right now with uh, with a buy still. Um, the turnaround was really at the beginning of, of 2020. So at the end of 20, I think it was about September 2018, uh, they had a management change up. And the people that came in, uh, I had known from being at Richmond previously. Uh, I'd covered Richmond uh, and I cover Alamo. So I was pretty familiar with that transaction. And, you know, I think they, they did a, a lot of good work at, at Richmond in, in growing the island gold mine and then culminating with, you know, the sale to Alamo. And they're still, you know, knocking it out of the park in terms of exploration there. So still a, a great asset. Uh, and then moving over to uh, New Gold, I mean, I, I'll be completely honest with you. When I when I talked to Renault and, and Rob, uh, their CFO, uh, at first, I kind of went like, are you, are you, "Do you guys know what you're doing?" Uh, <laughs> I have covered New Gold before you got here, and it's it's not going to be easy. And they laid out a plan and said, "You know, uh, we did our homework, and here's what we think needs to be done. Here's the timeline for it." Uh, and initially in early '19, I kind of said, "Okay, it sounds like it makes sense. Let's see how you do." Uh, we had a hold recommendation for, for that whole period, and, and they came out and they, they did what they said they were going to do. Uh, early 2020 came around. Uh, they'd taken the, the throughput up through through 2019. They got the recoveries up. Everything was kind of you know hitting all the boxes and doing the things they said they were going to do. Uh, they had a, an analyst investor day, I think it was in February, um, kind of outlined a, a clear plan as to how Rainy River is going to be free cash flow generating. Uh, and I went, look, I mean, you've said everything, you've said all the right things, you've done all the right things so far. This is a, a pretty straightforward plan to me. Um, I've got some pretty, you know, key indicators that are going to show me if you're if you're on track um, and, you know, modeled it all out and, and kind of went through some of the finer details and went, no, nah, I think this is definitely worth the, the risk reward and, and we're going to go to a buy. And uh, it turns out, you know, they've they've done what they said they were going to do and, and things are starting to work. Yeah, and I think you recommended or you gave a buy tar a buy buy rating when the stock was at seventy cents. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I I briefly looked at chart. Oh, that's where we came from earlier in 2020, and now we're close yeah. to three bucks. I think two forty five today, but uh, it hit three bucks earlier this year. 
So it hit three and pulled back. Yeah, I mean, I'm, in hindsight, I guess I should have pounded the table a little bit more. I had a lot of people that were kind of going, oh, I don't think Rainy River is going to work. And that kind of made me a bit more hesitant and I was worried maybe I was missing something. But uh, no, it turned out to be the uh, the right call. Yeah, it was a fantastic call. I think you were pretty much one of the few guys on the street in Toronto calling by on it as well. People were still hesitant to to acknowledge what's what's happening. Yeah, I, I think, uh, again, it was a bit of a, a tough call, but just kind of the, the mentality they had and, and, you know, having that track record of, of laying out, you know, achievable targets and, and hitting them in, in a timely manner, or at least in the, you know, on the timelines that you say you're going to hit, uh, that was uh, the right way to do it. Um, another big part I should have mentioned was uh, they, they've kind of right-sized everything too. The asset portfolio, uh, some of the assets that were, you know, not not really core, they got rid of those. They really cleaned up the balance sheet. They took it from over a billion in long-term debt to about $500 million now uh and that's while putting all that money into rainy river to finish the construction too so they've definitely come uh come a long way um we're gonna have another deep dive uh this uh february so in a couple of weeks when they go through their full uh 2020 results and uh yeah we'll have an update then yeah that's gonna be interesting curious to see what your buy target is going to be or what your rating is is going to be in general <laughs> sorry not buy target but rating is going to be because you haven't raised your when it hit three dollars you didn't increase your buy uh your, your price target so i'm quite curious what the long-term perspective uh, like perspective is on <laughs> on the company so, um, yeah i i uh yeah me too uh, <laughs> no fantastic let's leave it at that because otherwise everything else is speculation and we'll see what's happening in 2021 obviously but 1850 gold should help a lot of companies 1850 For gold sure. is probably a good good segue as well because it helps a lot it helped a lot of junior companies as well over the last few years and at Orening we've seen over 5.5 billion dollars raised for exploration companies and they want to spend that money and one way to spend it is drilling so there's the segue to major drilling, Good. right? Nice segue. Let, let's talk uh, yeah. about major drilling. Like that's a company you've been following for a long time as well. I know we've chatted often about it and I never really followed up on it. I should have just blindly bought it because it's it's a no-brainer. If you see junior companies raising money, where's the money going to go? Well, into the ground mostly. Right. And major drilling obviously is publicly listed. Um, run us through your process, your coverage process, like your, buy to- your, your price target rating and everything as well. And uh, we can talk about market sentiment as part of that as well. Yeah, sure. So as you kind of mentioned there, um, MDI is uh, a great way to play the uh, the exploration space. Um, you're you're not taking on um, single asset risk that you would uh, if you were say investing in an exploration company. And sorry, my as my computer freezes on me here. Um, but uh, so so think of it as I guess like a derivative on the exploration space, and that really makes uh, it, it a bit easier for I, I guess people that uh, are a bit hesitant on on some of the smaller cap and exploration names, and they see you know everyone's raising money. I don't know which exploration company I really want to jump into. I can just look at a drilling company, and you know they're going to benefit from this. Um, there's really two two sides to it. Um, the first one being that uh, again going back to companies generating more and more free cash flow. Uh, since 2012, I think gold reserves are down about 35%. So they're going to have to rebuild those out. The juniors being able to, to do all these equity deals, bigger and bigger exploration programs that all translates into to more demand for drilling services. And that was kind of the, the reason behind getting uh, more aggressive on, on major at the beginning of this year. So uh, we're at $9 target right now in a buy recommendation, but uh, we see more and more good things to come over the, the coming quarters. Yeah, and as a follow-up question to that, is like, as I said, we raised $5.5 billion last year. Um, is, has that flood of money or the wave of money arrived yet for, for those companies? Yeah. Like, and, and how is that trickling in? Right. It's of course not all five five billion dollars are going to get spent day one of twenty twenty one, obviously. But like, how has that been taking effect? 
Yeah, good question. So there's usually a six to nine-ish month lag between when a company raises money and then when it translates over to somebody like MDI seeing it as revenue. So um, keep in mind there, there's, there is that time that you need to close the financing, get the money in the bank, uh, get your geology team together, make sure you kind of tighten up where all your drill targets are, go and figure out which drill contractor you're going to use, get them to mobilize the rig, bring it into site, start drilling, cut the check to the drilling company, that whole period, yeah, usually about six to nine months. So we're definitely starting to see it come in now. Um, the one thing I, I should uh, mention specific to uh, Major is that their Q3, which is going to be the next quarter they report, is uh, seasonally their weakest quarter. Um, just because their fiscal year ends on April 30th, uh, that means their Q3 ends Jan 31. And why that's bad is December, January, your holiday shut down so naturally you're going to see compared to the prior quarter revenue is going to fall off a cliff so don't panic things still look good it's just you know december january people uh, take off for the holidays and that's usually when um mdi goes out and does all their rig maintenance and all that kind of stuff so you see more spending and less revenue gotcha no okay that makes a lot of sense i really appreciate your insights there and i think it's a smart way to play this sector if you don't want to it's uh what was it during the klondike gold rush is the guy selling the shovel who makes them might the most right? exactly, so that's exactly um, that's a great analogy Right, it just makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, let's let's use that market sentiment, like that analysis. Let's transfer it to twenty twenty one. Let's let's get our crystal balls out just a little bit. Um, let, as as I said, we raised five point five billion dollars on the junior end of the market. Do you see that number, or do you see financings to stay on that level, or like where do you see twenty twenty one heading? And then, of course, how is that going to reflect in terms of expiration? Yeah, I, I think that uh, it, it'll keep creeping up from there in terms of the number of uh, dollars raised. I think there's a constructive um, background, both technically and fundamentally, for the gold price that'll keep you know some some good eyes on it and and uh, help with the uh, the equities uh, capital raising side of things. Um, in terms of you know. The overall, I guess, kind of 35,000 foot view, uh, again, with the number of, uh, sorry, the amount that uh, reserves have declined over the last couple of years, usually when you go into uh, a period of, you know, looking to cut spending, um, as we have before, it's GNA and exploration are usually the first two to go. So naturally, you're, you're depleting your reserve and resource base. Uh, you're not spending as much on exploration over the last little while. So now that you're making a lot more free cash flow with the higher gold price, it's the exploration taps are back on again, and you're going to see a lot more people raising money. I think M&A is going to pick up. Um, it's a lot easier in some cases for some of these seniors to go acquire a project in a good jurisdiction than it would be to, you know, spend five years drilling it off to a resource and getting through all those economic studies. So um, I think that'll draw a little bit more attention to companies that have quality projects with the right address and, and so on. Okay, so let, let, let's condense it just a little bit. Let, let, name three themes that you expect to happen in 2021. Like you, you mentioned a couple in there just in the lengthier part. Let's let's condense it. Three themes. Um, are we going yeah, to see more? Let, let me give you an example. Are we going to see more joint sure. ventures between majors and juniors? Or are we going to see more transactions where a barrack comes in and just buys flat out an exploration project? Yeah, I mean, uh, we've seen um, a lot of those kind of, I guess you can call them like toehold investments where you'll see a senior come in and take 9.9% of a junior company. Um, I think you, you'll probably still see those. Uh, I think M&A will, will pick up. Um, we've seen in, in prior years, the easiest way to replace your, your overall global reserve base is just to buy another asset. Um, so I think we'll, we'll see more and more M&A activity. Um, and then really, I mean, I think we'll still see more and more uh, capital raises with uh, money always going to the right projects, even in some of the, the more challenging markets over the last few years. Um, if you've got the right team, a project, the right address and, and good exploration potential, they're still able to raise money. And I think you'll just see more and more of that now. Fantastic. All right. I think it's slowly time to wrap it up. Uh, 
I'm not sure if I can even ask so you quick. that. No, I was going to ask you like three top picks are your coverage universe, but you can't have favorite children. So it's, it's a bit, yeah, it's I, a bit unfair. I, I, I could take a stab at it. Um, I mean, again, uh, major drilling, as you pointed out earlier, was is my is technically my my top pick for this year, and and really it's just taking advantage of uh, the the jump in metal prices. And and keep in mind, in addition to gold, they also do quite a bit of business in the uh, base metal space too. So they do quite a bit of uh, drilling for for copper, nickel, uh, all the battery metals, all that stuff. So I'm kind of you know catering to to different crowds there. But um, that's my overall kind of general pick. Um, Alamos is one that we've been talking a lot about, just on the valuation side. Uh, it's Pulled back to around ten bucks. Uh, there's not a lot of other, call it senior intermediate companies that I've got in the peer group that trade at that kind of multiple. Um, they've got three great assets between Island Gold, Young Davidson, Mulattoes that are all in uh, either Ontario or Mexico. Good growth profiles. They're all organic. Uh, uh, growth is all funded from uh, cash flow generation, um, so I, I really like that one. Um, Let's see what else have we got here. Argonaut is still uh, doing uh, doing pretty well. They've got a lot of exploration potential, I think, at uh, at Magino. Um, they just announced this morning that they're going to start building that one. So you know, those those would be three to go with, and then maybe just to round it out. I know we're out of time here, and I'm pushing over the limit, but uh, Battle North would probably be the last one. I think that uh, they've definitely come a long way in uh, in turning that around, and I think uh, there's going to be a lot of good things to happen over the uh, the year to come. Yeah, it's going to be interesting what's happening there in the Red Lake District in general. So I'm quite excited, and they have massive tax pools they're sitting on. And I'm surprised nobody snatched those up yet. So that's uh, even if you don't like the, the asset itself. Sorry, I think I lost you here. No, all good. All good. You're here. Oh, you're here. Oh, sorry. There we go. No, all back. All <laughs> back. No, I think the tax pools, I'm surprised. Like, even if you don't like the asset itself or like those tax pools are almost worth it. So appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us this morning uh, or this afternoon. Thanks for you. Really, really great to get your insights and uh, from an industry insider. So much appreciated. And uh, we'll, we'll get back to you. We'll get you back on the program soon to see uh, what's happening, how the market is playing out. So always good to get an insight from an analyst who's actually talking to the street daily and to, to hear what is happening. Everybody else, thanks for joining us. Thanks for tuning in. This was SF Live episode 119 with Ryan Hanley, mining analyst at Laurentian Bank Securities. And uh, Ryan, how can people find you if they want any of your information or any of the coverage? Yeah, the easiest way, um, probably, I, I guess, since uh, we're, we're on Twitter and doing everything uh, live streaming on there, is uh, you can send me a message on there. Um, I'll do my best to, to answer uh, any uh, any questions, as, or at least as, as well as I can. Um, or you can you can find me on the uh, Laurentian Bank website as well, or LinkedIn, or all the other usual kind of social media go-tos. Fantastic. Yeah, I think your Twitter name is at rhenley9976. I'm not sure why that's burned in my memory, yep. but... Uh... <laughs> But it's from all those fantasy football losses, probably. but you got it. I was going to ask you for your biggest <laughs> disappointment in 2020, but uh, I, I, I was afraid you were going to say fantasy football, but uh, <laughs> fantastic. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Have a good Thanks. rest of the week and uh, enjoy the rest of the con virtual conferences, at least this week. So, <laughs> Thanks very much for having me, Kai, right. and I uh, look forward to doing it again.